It's a beautiful crown. When you're the king of Judah, you get only the finest of crowns, and I am King Hezekiah. You see, I'm kind of a big deal, and it's through me that King David later is going to sit on the throne, and there was a covenant about him, and I just want to tell you a little bit about myself because there is a lot written in the Bible about me, over 11 chapters and all of these different references to me. In fact, this is what the Bible says about me in 2 Chronicles 31. It says, this is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord as God, and everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple, and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. Let me just give you my resume really quick. You see, my father was really a wicked king. He didn't serve God at all. So I didn't have a good upbringing. I didn't have focused living to see that God was actually shaping me for these kinds of moments by negative preparation. Little plug there for focused living. In 716, I was anointed the king of Judah. I started at age 25. I was hardly ready to serve and... And yet I reigned for 29 years. And it says in 2 Kings that I was more zealous for God than any of my predecessors. So I was a high watermark. And I tore down pagan altars and idols and temples to other gods. And I opened up the temple doors that were nailed shut. I restored the priesthood. And I even reinstated Passover. So you see... It's through my line, through David, through me, and later to the Messiah Jesus that we see this beautiful lineage and this salvation plan. In a few minutes, I'm going to tell you how God saved us as a nation and how it was my posture that actually led to God doing the battles on our behalf instead of us actually going to war for ourselves. Good morning, church family. I'm Tammy Smith, if I haven't met you yet, and it's an honor to partner with Andrew on the sermon series this fall, and it is called The Big Picture, Experiencing uh, the Whole Story of the Bible. And I just, I, this morning as we were worshiping, I know we were contending, and I just want to say that we are continuing to contend right now when we're learning about the Word of God. And so that continues forward. So powerful. We're going to be learning about the kings today, the human kings. That's ultimately pointing us to our king of kings. For those of you who are taking notes, we have handouts still here. They're at the front or in the back. So I just want to remind you of that. And we had a helpful suggestion last week that the bullet point slides that we were showing with the main content of those books some of you couldn't get all of that down in the time, so we're putting it on our website. So if you guys go under the Digging Deeper tab under the Sunday Handouts menu item, you can find those. And so some of the ones that we're using today will be there as well. I'll have that. Okay. I think we have some pictures of what our kids have been doing in Sunday school. And so our fourth and fifth graders also are doing books of the Bible like we have here. In fact, they started before us on this. I love that they are leading the way. They are color coding by genre as well. And then on the next slide, it shows that they're doing even more details. They are they're coloring a picture for the front of the book and they're putting a detailed description of each book. And so I just love that they are learning that and proud of them 
for that. Okay, we are going to take a look now at our bookcase, and we talked about this last week, that we actually have all the books of the Bible, but right now we have just been focusing, this is the Old Testament books. They are color-coded by genre as well. For the Old Testament, we have the law, we have history, we have poetry, major prophets, and the minor prophets. And right now we are in the section of history. History, as you can see, is really long, and there are 12 books, and so we are dividing it into two weeks. We covered six of the books last week, and so we're doing the second half today. Okay, I gave you a little hint last week that there are lots of groups of threes you can use to, to wrap your brain around this. So for those of you who are trying to memorize these books or review them, which we totally encourage you to do, you can think in three sets of threes. You have Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and then you have all the firsts and seconds, okay? So if you just remember Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, that's the next set. All first and seconds are six right there, and then the final is Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And one little thing I wanted to tell you, too, is that these first and seconds were written as a unified work, so like all of Samuel was written together, all of Kings, all of Chronicles. They were written on these scrolls, and these scrolls could be really heavy, and so that is why they were divided into two, but they weren't originally written that way. Okay, then we've talked about how the Bible is not always chronological. It's done by genre. That's how it's organized. But there is, um, we're going to put this in some chronology for you so you can understand and follow it. There are four sets of threes if you do that. The first, uh, the first and the last stay the same. So you still have Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. But then we're going to move things around a little bit here. We're going to put First Chronicles with First and Second Samuel. And then we're going to put Second Chronicles following First and Second Kings. And then Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther says the same because this is covering similar content, First Second Samuel and First Chronicles, and then First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles are covering some similar material, which this is what we're going to do today, starting at First Kings through Esther. Okay. Then we have, we talked about, there's these three main movements that we went over last week, and there's going to be three that we're doing today. So I think we can skip forward on the slide. And okay, so last week we covered uh, conquest, judges, united kingdom. We're going to finish that out today and then go into the divided kingdom, exile, and restoration. So that's the big picture of where we're going. In fact, we're going to challenge you to, to know those six movements so you can describe all of history. Okay, so those are the three we're focused on today. Divided kingdom, exile, and restoration. That is our bookcase, and we are also going to do our timeline. So we'll get our timeline people Let's up Let's get some help. Place. We got some help this Just morning. Come on up. <laughs> that okay. are going to help us with our timeline. So, We've been building a timeline from creation all the way to modern day, but we're only going to show part of the timeline this morning, just the part of the scriptures that we're actually covering today. So these good friends are going to come up with all of their props and different things. And help us out. I have one of your props. That's right. Here they come. Great, great, great. You're going to look great in that, Caroline. Good job. Good job. Come on down here. So we're going to build this out a little bit. So the ones that we are showing that we have been doing are creation with the fall. And then we do Abraham and Moses. So we've covered that several times. We're not. Okay. Grab the poster. Come on. 
So I will, sh this, we are only showing you this part because this is where the history section covers. Last week, we started with Joshua, and Joshua is holding a sword because he was the one that led the conquest of the promised land, and this is in 1400 BC. Then we have King David. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mask, not a crowd on this one. <laughs> this is in the year 1000 BC. Okay, representing our United Kingdom. We also mentioned that this is the middle of our timeline. And so there's 3,000 years that way, and then there's 3,000 years this way. Okay, the new territory for today. This is when Israel falls. <laughs> Israel falls uh, in 722 BC, followed by, okay, hang on, what do you have? Come here, you go in front, and you show that Judah also falls. In 586 BC, and at that time, the temple is also destroyed. And then in 516 BC, the Jews return and rebuild the temple. So we have the hammer showing our, our building project here. All of this is happening very near the close of the Old Testament. Go ahead and close it. In 400 BC. So that is what we are covering today, specifically starting with the falls into the rebuild of the temple. Good job, everybody. Thank you. That was a very, very rigorous hammering there, Emily. That was, I could tell you were really building that temple. So why are we spending the fall learning this material? Because understanding the context of the Bible and getting the big picture helps us then, then when we learn how to study the Bible and we zoom into the small picture, we're actually not taking it out of context or making it say what we want to say, but we're interpreting the Bible correctly. So after the first of the year, we'll be doing a whole church opportunity to learn inductive Bible study, and we're going to do it right here in the worship services, and we want you to learn how to study the Bible. And this is a really important skill. So let's talk about meta narrative. This is a huge term. Uh, sounds really scary, but it's just this overarching principle that's going on in the Bible. Uh, in the Bible, we have this meta narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And we're going to see this play out not just in Genesis, but also other places in the Bible, right? So that's the overall of where the Bible is going. But if you look in all the smaller stories, you're going to see either parts or whole of that same meta narrative. And so today in particular, we're going to see that creation. Well, the creation of the, the nation of Israel started in Genesis. We're going to see the rest of it play out in this part of history with the fall, um, the redemption, and the restoration. Right. So as we pick up here, we want to remind you that there are three kings of the United Kingdom. The first was Saul, the second was David, and the third was Solomon. And so as we're looking through first and second kings and second chronicles at this point, we're catching the very end of the United Kingdom with Solomon. And then we're going to see the divided kingdom and we'll see both kingdoms fall into exile. So let's stop and focus on Solomon, shall we? So he's crowned king in 1 Kings 1. And yet his father, David, this under him, Israel was a united kingdom all together. One king in one capital, Jerusalem, and one place of worship. And so they were all together. And yet Solomon 
Yeah, well, with David, at the end of uh, 2 Samuel, we saw that he fell into sin and he had all these consequences that came out. However, he is a man after God's own heart and he will be the king that all the other kings are compared to. Yeah, because there's a covenant made with him, a promise made by God to David that through his line, there will be a king that will sit on the throne and be that king of kings, the Messiah who we call Jesus. And so the David is a big deal because every other king is going to be measured against him. He was either a man after God's own heart like David or not so much. Right. And Solomon, who is David and Bathsheba's son, he starts off really well, like his father, and he serves the Lord. And when the the Lord actually appears to Solomon and asks him for what he would like, and he says, it was in a dream, and this is exactly what the Lord says. He says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon wisely asks for wisdom. And so he starts out... um, with, you know, great wisdom, and the Lord blesses him even beyond that. He gives him great wealth. He gives him power. He gives him fame. And really, we see the whole nation of Israel at its peak at this point. And in fact, we had a Lego build. Brielle Balant did this great Lego build of King Solomon using his wisdom in this story with these two women and two babies, which you could read on your own in First Kings. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, David had also wanted to build a permanent place for the Lord, the temple. So there was the tabernacle, which is temporary. He wanted to build a temple, but the Lord made it clear to him that it was not going to be him. He was allowed to gather resources. He was allowed to do some planning with the the construction and prepare for that. But the Lord said, no, it's going to be Solomon, your son, that is going to build this temple. And... um, it, it was because Solomon was a man of peace and David was a man of war. And, and so Solomon does this. He oversees yeah. the building of the temple in Jerusalem. He dedicates it to the Lord in a grand ceremony. The Lord's presence is there. It's, it's a wonderful point in history for the nation. So we had the portable temple in what we called the tabernacle, right? We actually had a Lego build that Serena Chandley and Deanne Wilson beautifully did. That was the foreshadowing of the temple, which was a normal building that stayed in one place. Right. So later in his life, Solomon, uh, well, he doesn't finish so well. He marries mm, a few women, mm, 700, (laughs) and then has 300 other concubines, like extra women in his life. I don't think that worked out very well. The reason it didn't work out well is these women were serving false gods. And caused him to also do the same. And so he begins setting up temples and worshiping false gods. And this is a violation of the covenant that is made between this nation, Israel, and God. And things do not end well. Right. And so last week we showed a video about blessings for following the covenant and curses for not, for disobeying God. And so due to his word, God is going to... He's going to follow that through. And so because of what Solomon is doing and falling falling away here, the Lord tells him that he will certainly tear the kingdom from his hands, but it's not going to be during his lifetime. He's going to let that happen with his son. And because he's made that covenant with David, uh, he's not going to tear all of it away. He's only going to tear part of it away. Yeah, God's a promise-keeping God. He's going to keep that promise. So after King Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam takes the throne. And Rehoboam has some foolish choices. It leads to civil war, and, but he 
the Lord fulfills what he said to Solomon and the nation is torn in two. And this is what leads to our next section now, the divided kingdom. Rehoboam remains the king of the southern. So you're going to have a southern kingdom that is going to go by Judah. It is two tribes. It is Judah and Benjamin. Right. And then there's the northern kingdom. This is a man named Jeroboam. Now those are pretty close in as far as it's hard, it's easy to get those mixed up. So Jeroboam's in the north and both kings, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, both serve false gods. They both practice idolatry. That's how the Bible would say it. I made slides of fish yes. this week. I'm very proud of my fish <laughs> illustration. Are you ready? If you love it, you can clap. If you don't, we just pretend like it didn't happen. But so we have these two fish, Israel and Judah. They're kind of small fish. And as, as we know, they become two different kingdoms. Israel is in the north and Judah is in the south. Right. More on the fish later. Yes. Tammy? So in the north, Jeroboam, he really wants to distinguish himself from the southern kingdom. He really wants to, he doesn't want the people going down to Jerusalem to worship. That's no. No. In fact, he says, you know what? I'm, I've got this great idea. I read Exodus and I'm going to set up a golden calf. No, I'm going to set up two golden calves and have people worship in two different places and worship God by worship these calves, and that's idolatry, and that's not such a good idea. Yeah, and so Jeroboam is very wicked, and so just like David had been the standard here for a good king, now Jeroboam becomes the standard, and that all these other kings are compared to just um, how evil they are. So Tammy, there were 19 kings in the northern kingdom. How many were good, God-honoring, God-worshiping kings? Yeah, zero. Zero? Not a... Zero out of 19 kings in the north were good examples. Yes, and so not one of them was King Ahab and his wife Jezebel are kind of that ultimate example of just how wicked they were. Okay, so the the southern kingdom has to be better, right? I mean... Yeah, they did a little bit better. So of 20 kings in the southern kingdom, there are eight that chose to follow the Lord. And two that you may um, know are King Hezekiah. Of course, Hezekiah. And King Josiah, two that stand out. Um, Also really important to know that in the north, they went through several different dynasties, different families, and the south stayed the dynasty of David. Remember the covenant? So they are all descendants of David down there. So sometimes a chart is helpful, and we are chart people, and so we have a chart like this. It's online, so you don't have to take a picture of it right now. You just go to our website, grab it, take a look at it, and uh, what we see is green being good kings and pink being mm, not so good kings uh, practicing idolatry. And so, um, quick mention, we had a two more Lego builds in our Lego timeline of the Bible that fit within uh, kings here. First of all, Vincenzo made God sending the ravens to bring Elijah food. And then we also have Angeline made uh, Elisha and the Shunammite family, if you will. Um, here, you can read about that story. But good job, you guys. Yes, Way to go. I want to honor you. In coming weeks. So. So one of the curses of not following God and breaking that covenant that God had made through Moses with the nation of, of Israel is exile. An exile is when you have to be away from your home or your country. And so again, he's a promise-keeping God. He's going to make good on that, and he's going to stay true to his word, which leads to exile for these kings leading their nation into idolatry and not following the Lord. Okay, so your phone should have just activated. And if you grab the little QR code, 
pull it out. On your screen, does it say which kingdom fell first, Israel or Judah? Does it say that? No or yes? Yes. Okay, so vote, vote real quick. Yes or no? Are Israel or Judah? That's not yes or no. Sorry, guys. I'm challenging. Okay, we got responses coming in. Oh, nice, nicely done, guys. Okay. You can, it's okay. You can guess if you want. I will share answers here with my friend Tammy. Okay. So, we, we looked... Oh, we're doing pretty well here. Oh, get in more. Oh, yeah. So, uh-huh. we got 75% of responses said it's Israel. 25% said it was Judah. What's the right answer, Tammy? 75% of you are correct. The first nation to fall is the northern kingdom of Israel. So, it's the first one to fall. But the second question is this, and it should be popping up on your screen right now. Right now, if I did it right. Did I? What year did Israel fall to the Assyrians? Was it 1000 BC? Was it 845 BC? Was it 722 BC? Or was it 150 we'll see BC? How well you guys Just are click on your answer. To your timeline, because we already told you. On your answer, let's see how we did. Mm, it's just oh. coming in. We're just seeing. Mm. We got votes for all four. Good guesses. Some wrong guesses, but some good guesses. <laughs> it looks like 48% said 722. Yeah, so half it was you. about 35% that said 845. Yeah. And then other, others do guessed other things. But what's the right answer? 722 BC is correct. So a little bit less than half of you got that right. Good job. You guys are getting it. Okay, so I also wanted to put a little plug in. We talked at the end of the um, sermon last week that we have a kingdoms chart that we are encouraging our intermediate to advanced learners to actually look over and start memorizing. These are the key kingdoms in this overall story of the Bible, and if you are uh, learning that, it will help you with all of this. Right. Let's do another quiz question. It's so much fun. All right, so the question is this. What kingdom conquered the northern kingdom of Israel? We actually just talked about it in the timeline. This is what we call frequency in the biz, where we just keep saying the same things over and over, knowing you're going to get it eventually, right? So is it Judah, Babylon, Rome, Assyria? Let's see what the answers are looking like, shall we? Hmm. You guys did very well. 55% gave the right answer, and the, the right answer is? Assyria. Assyria. Okay, and good. And the other one voted uh, another country that's coming. So you guys are thinking along the right track. So, okay, why did Israel fall first? Why do you think? With the, what did we see on that chart? With the, what did I say was the score out of 19 kings? How, How many, many kings? I'm seeing zero. Zippo. Okay, so... God allows them to fall first, and so they fall to Assyria, and they fall in 722 BC, okay? Yeah, that little fish getting eaten by the big fish of Syria, right? Yes. (laughs) Okay, but after, um, where am I, Assyria? So Assyria then goes after Judah as well. So he isn't just happy just going after Assyria, goes after Judah as well, and the king of Judah at that point is our friend Hezekiah. Who has lost his crown, but alas, he is still with you. So as Hezekiah 
You might say, I don't think you existed, but we actually have archaeological proof. My seal is right there. And the Assyrians, they wrote all about me in three different reliefs. And so we've got all sorts of evidence that I really existed. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem, you can go through my tunnel underneath the city. I built this tunnel because I knew the Assyrians were coming. They had already defeated the north, and so I had to be ready. I made this tunnel so that the water would would be flowing into the city from the spring instead of the Assyrians getting the water themselves. They didn't have any water when they showed up. Well, the Assyrians then, well, they finally did show up. It was only about six or seven years into my, my rule. I was only in my late 20s, and yet I'm surrounded by these people that did awful things to every single other nation that they came against. And so what did I do? Well, I, I reached out to my friend, Isaiah, he's the prophet at that time. And, and Isaiah said to them, tell your master, I'm the master. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you've heard. These words which these underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I'm going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he'll return to his own country and there I will have him cut down with the sword. And so, Isaiah is saying, it's going to be okay, but I was still afraid. And so what did I do? The only thing I know how to do, I got down on my knees and I just began to pray. And this is what I prayed. Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sinatra has sent to insult the living God. If it is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands, they have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, but they were not gods, only wood of stone, and so fashioned by man's hands. So, oh Lord, deliver us from your hands so that all the kingdoms on earth will know what you've done and know that you are God. Well, so it was my posture of prayer that that's all I knew how to do. And yet, I, we were still surrounded by our enemy. This was still the most frightening thing that had ever happened to me in my short reign as the king. And so I sent a message then to Isaiah. Isaiah, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and yet Isaiah sends a message back. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come in before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he'll return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and I will save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And that very night, the angel of the Lord came through the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 of the soldiers. In the morning, those who woke up, packed up their bags, left and went back to Nineveh. Now, had we done anything of our own might or our own strength? No. All I did was the only thing I knew to do, and that was I got on my knees and I asked the one who could make change and do anything 
to come and make war on our behalf. And he did. It saved our city and it saved our nation. And scene. So God preserves Judah, at least for a little bit while longer. We see that Hezekiah contended in prayer. But God also sees the oppressor and does business with them, right? There is justice. There is always a bigger fish, people. And that bigger fish was Babylon. And so Assyria is going to fall to Babylon. Right. Which is a good opportunity for a quiz question, shall we? This quiz question, here we go. It should be coming up right now. So first, Assyria falls to Babylon, but then Judah is going to fall. So remember that we had some good kings in Judah, right? We had eight out of 20. So some were really seeking the Lord, but others were not. And so eventually they are breaking that covenant as well. And so God will do business with them. So what kingdom conquered the kingdom of Judah? Hey, hey, hey 75% got it right. And the answer one. is? Babylon. Good nice job. Nice job, everybody. Okay. So Assyria took down Israel, but then uh, Babylon took down Assyria, and now Babylon takes down Judah as well. So this is the southern kingdom that has gone. They fall a little less than 150 years apart. It's 136 years to be exact for those of you who like those numbers. Um, so it was because of eventually that overall unfaithfulness as to why they fell. And what year was it? Tell us. What year was it that the kingdom of Judah was taken into exile? There. Did you guys? Okay. We're Let's see. Let's too. see how they did. Let's see how they did. Yeah. Hey, 586. Hey. I'm Look so at that. Excited. 88%. Nice work, <laughs> hey, you guys. guys getting this. Okay. So Assyria was, uh, they fell, Israel fell to Assyria in 722 BC, and now Judah falls to Babylon in 586 BC. And super, super important to remember, if you saw this on the timeline, when Judah falls, the temple is destroyed in Jerusalem. The people are devastated by this. Okay, so we are, uh, I want to just review where we've been on that bookcase. We've been in First and Second Kings, okay? First and Second Kings, it's about the kings, mm -hmm. right? And so we've gone from the end of the United Kingdom with Solomon. We've seen that his choices led to a divided kingdom with a northern Israel and a southern Judah. We've seen how those kings ruled and reigned and what the consequences of those were. We've seen that northern kingdom fall to Assyria and now that southern kingdom fall to Judah, all in that. And now the people are going into exile. And then Second Chronicles, if you remember how we group things over here, we put Second Chronicles with First and Second Kings, and that's because it's very similar content in there. However, I went over this last week that the Chronicles focus on the southern kingdom of Judah because it is told through a priestly perspective with a focus on Jerusalem and a focus on David's dynasty down there in the south. And then different faith traditions order their Bibles in different ways. The Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, puts First and Second Chronicles at the very end like a review of everything. Because if you're reading through the way our Bibles are, a lot of times you get to the Chronicles and you're like, didn't I just read this? It's basically a repeat. Well, yeah, because it's meant to be a review stuck at the end is a great place to read it, actually. Yeah. And sometimes if you're reading through the Bible, you'll go, wait a second. I think I heard this. And you did. Yes. You're right. Because I think of chron about Chronicles as like, almost like the critic who's sitting next by, next, next to what's yeah. happening and saying, 
let me tell you what's really going on here. Yeah, or why, how did we even get to where we are, right? right? How did right. we get to the state? And this right. is the answer of how we got there. Yeah. So the Jewish people are scattered now. And for those of you who uh, like history and want the term, it's called the di diaspora. Diaspora. And although they are devastated, they are so devastated that their temple has been destroyed, that they are now in exile, they're away from their beloved Jerusalem and their home country, <clears throat> they are not without hope. So Jeremiah, who's one of Judah's prophets, he gives a prophecy that the captivity would be limited to 70 years. And this is what he says. This is Jeremiah 25, 11. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So he just prophesies it, says this is what's going to happen and then that's what happens. So um, sure enough, while the Jewish people are in exile in Babylon, there's always a bigger fish and that would be Persia. The Persian empire comes up and swallows up Babylon. And then God brings judgment on that nation that was the oppressor once again. Right. And so fulfilling Jeremiah's prophecy, the Persian, who's King Cyrus, he actually releases a remnant of these Jews who are in exile uh, from Judah to return home to rebuild the temple. Yeah. Yep. Judah fell in 586 BC and the temple is going to be rebuilt in 516 BC. How many years is that? Oh, that would be 70. 70. Right. Jeremiah had said. And as we're moving through, what, here's your quiz question. It should be on your phone. In what two Old Testament books can you read about the return from exile and the rebuilding of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem? Is it 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles? Is it Ezra and Nehemiah? Esther or 1 Samuel or 2 Hesitations and 1 Permutations? Please don't vote for the last one. <laughs> Who gave you one? <laughs> Someone will. Someone will, I'm sure. Oh, no. I think they got it right. <laughs> no one largely, got it that one. Look largely. That. I can't even see hey, the numbers, that, though, yeah, honestly. Numbers Can you just see that? 65% said... Ezra and Nehemiah. Good and they job. would be right. I always feel like this is part of the Bible. People don't it know It gets a little well, fuzzy so, in this spot, doesn't so it? I'm really, I'm, I'm very proud of you. Okay, so we're going to review these books. So with Ezra... Um, I guess some of the people who were um, from Judah that are in exile are allowed to return home. And it's, uh, they go home under a man named Zerubbabel. Did I say that right? Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he becomes the governor of Judah. Super important to know that he is a descendant of David. So that's important because there's a covenant with David that there's going to be this ruler on the throne. So God is keeping his promise, right? And as Rebbebel goes home to rebuild the temple, um, he encounters some opposition and that gets delayed for about 15 years, but eventually he does fulfill that and that temple was rebuilt by 516 BC. The second temple is not nearly as grand as the first temple. In fact, some people that saw both, they, they openly grieve over this. And then it's years later that a scribe named Ezra comes and he calls the people to repentance and he calls them to obey God's law. So the book is named after him. It's that man, Ezra the scribe. The next book is Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is known for the rebuilding of walls, and it's about 14 years after Ezra arrives. And Nehemiah is the cupbearer in the Persian king's palace. So he's got this incredible access to the king, and the king says, go, 
Go and rebuild your city and sends resources and all sorts of things. And even though there's opposition to the rebuilding of Jerusalem, they construct the city walls. They pull everybody together in 52 days. They repair the walls. It's an amazing book. Nehemiah is a really cool book. And Ezra then, of course, reads the book of the law publicly to the people and says, hey, this is the covenant that we're under, everybody. Got to remember, this is what's going on. And calls everyone in Judah to rededicate themselves to following God and his laws. Right. So an easy way to remember Ezra and Nehemiah is rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the walls. Okay. All happening in Jerusalem. Ezra, Nehemiah. And we have a second temple now on the scene because that first one was destroyed. Now it's been rebuilt. Finally, we end our, our history genre with the book of Esther, one of my personal favorites. Love Esther. So a lot of these Jews who were living in exile did not return. And so they are still in the kingdom of Persia. Oh, you just gave away the answer. Oh, I forgot. For I forgot. which kingdom Shoot. did Esther become I the knew queen? I was going to do that. And now Jordan. you can get 100% right. <laughs> totally. The answer that. is that bigger fish, hey, Persia. Hey, That's right. Some missed it still. Well, they're just, pl- <laughs> they're just messing with us. The people in the front row is me- are I'm messing sorry. with us. I totally forgot. It I was really fun that. to have you interact, by the way. And we will be doing this hey, again. That worked. So, so thank excited. you for, for playing along. Yeah. Okay, sorry. In the pew. I'll try to remember that next time. That's okay. There's a lot of material here. We are in this last book, Esther. So what's going on here with Esther? Okay. She's in Persia. So she is uh, a young woman who's Jewish, and she actually gets chosen to be queen, and she hides her ethnicity. She keeps that a secret. And meanwhile, the king's right-hand man, evil Haman, is uh, hatching this genocidal plot to take out the Jews. There's a whole backstory there as to why he wants to do that. And so Esther has to bravely go before the king. She risks her life. And uh, through, through that, uh, God preserves the people. I think, and then is it Purim? Am I saying Purim, it right? Yeah. Purim is what uh, a holiday that the Jews still celebrate uh, in honor of that. Really interesting fact about the story of Esther is that God is never mentioned in it at all. But it is very obvious that his presence and his uh, intervention is, is at hand. And it is, you're meant to like read, read between the lines of that one. So we were actually going to encourage you to go and read Esther this week. It is a fairly quick read like mm-hmm. Ruth. And we'd love to get you into the word. Yeah. I think... Esther shows us how important it is for us to discern what God is doing around us, even if there's not some big sign that's flashing that says, God's doing this, God's doing this, but we would be learning how to be more discerning in our life and growing in wisdom. I also love that God is still at work with the people who are in exile, not just because they're living in their homeland, he's still at work. And we'll talk about that two weeks from now as we look at the prophets and realize that we are very much exiles living in our culture as well. So we want to go back to that idea of the meta-narrative. So you guys, maybe you can say this with me. What is this big meta-narrative? It is creation, Creation, fall, fall, redemption, redemption, and restoration. restoration. Okay, so that's that big picture in the Bible. And we've seen this now with the nation of Israel. So we saw them created again in Genesis. And now today we've talked to how they fell, why they fell, 
right? And then God's gracious, uh, his redemption and bringing them back out of exile and then some restoration happening when we saw the rebuild of the temple and the rebuild of the walls. And there's this hope, right, that he's still working. However, there's still sin, there's still brokenness in the world. I love that this section is, is we're seeing all these failures of these human kings. It's pointing us to our ultimate need of a king of kings. It's showing us that the story is not over and that there is more to come. We believe that the Bible is a unified story that is pointing to Jesus. And so that is, um, it leaves us wanting more of that. We covered a lot of ground today, didn't we? We did. Okay, so we started at Solomon. We did the divided kingdom and then we went to the exile. And so... This is the big takeaway. Again, we said this at the beginning. We want you to now put all, there was three main movements we covered today. We covered three last week. So let's, we want you to put it all together. And those of you who are taking notes, you can actually write it on the bottom. This is like our challenge for you this week to really get these down. So last week we covered these. Well, you can say them with me to start getting them in your head. We had conquest, conquest judges, judges. and United the United Kingdom. Kingdom. And bonus points, if you can know who those kings are in the United Kingdom. Then we have divided kingdom, kingdom, exile, and restoration. restoration. That sums up all 12 books. If you get that, that is a great takeaway. You have a good grasp of this section of the Bible. And we're nearing the end of the Old Testament, 75% of the Bible actually already. And if you've been with us from the beginning of this series, and if you're just coming in new, Guess what? We have this thing called YouTube where you can actually catch up and go back and see where we've been. But um, on our timeline, we actually have a th a three more genres that yeah. complete out the Old Testament that kind of give it richness. But this is the whole story of the Old Testament that we actually create, we recreated and talked about today. Now, next week, poetry and wisdom books, these yeah. five books. And um, I've been reading this book about resilient disciples in our age especially those who are in the younger generation. One of the things that it's specifically challenging the church to do is to learn the poetry books and the wisdom books of the, of the Old Testament in learning discernment and wisdom. Um, and so the most resilient disciples take a look at the wisdom books. And so we're going to do that next week. I'm really excited about that. Can I throw out a plug of what we do need? it? Okay. So, hey, we were actually looking for people who want to recite, if you know a proverb or you know a psalm, we would love for you to be a part of next week. Yep. So get a hold of us. You want to recite something? Let us know. Yes. So we have some challenges and some resources as we close up here. We've got the six major movements, which you just looked at. We talked about the key kingdoms. You can find that on our website if you want to, especially if you're a more seasoned. Um, Believer, we would love for you to learn these kingdoms and know what they are. Uh, there's the chart of the kings and the, the pink and the, and the green, if you will. That's also on the website. I wrote two blogs this week. One was a recap of last week, which you can see all that on our website. If you click on Pastor Andrew's Corner, drop down, you'll see the blog. And all the blogs are listed there if, you don't get, if you're not subscribed and you get them in your email. But uh, one, one that I did specifically this week in response to so many of you asking this is where do I start reading in the Bible? Now, there's about a hundred ways to answer this question, but that blog is up there with some suggestions and some resources. Um, and if you have more questions, we would love to have conversations afterwards with you about where you might start reading the Bible. And like Hezekiah, you might feel really surrounded right now. 
You might feel surrounded in your physical health life. You might feel surrounded in your relationships. You might feel surrounded by your, your financial burdens that seem like they're getting heavier and not lighter. You might feel surrounded by the idea of the future or a relationship that you are hoping is going to go somewhere. And perhaps in that, you haven't started praying yet. You haven't actually fallen to your knees like Hezekiah and said, this is what the enemy's doing all around me, God, what do I do? And we're really good at trying to figure out on our own. And we've made Christianity a solo sport, an independent kind of thing. But we were never created for that. We were created for dependence on God, for a radical trust in him and a regular prayer life where we're constantly bringing God help, God help. This is my favorite prayer, two words. You can all do that. You don't even have to sound pretty. God help, help Jesus. But I believe some of you have not started praying for what you feel surrounded by. And God's calling you, would you pray and will you invite someone else? Just as Hezekiah said, Isaiah, pray for us. I mean, talk about a, a good person to have pray for you. Isaiah's a rock star in the prophet world. But who can you invite into this circle that you can trust to say, will you please pray with me about this? You stand, we're gonna just close in prayer. We're gonna have the prayer team down here, down front. And uh, if you wanna in, invite someone to pray with you on our prayer team, they all keep these things to themselves. This is really important to have confidentiality. Um, but perhaps this is just a moment for you to do some business with God. And so thank you, Jesus that you're always present, you're always listening, you're always with us, you'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for the wisdom that you bring. Thank you for your word, which is so rich and so fun to dive into. May you just create a hunger in us to read your word, to study it, to understand it better, and for you to speak to us through it. So I bless this church family meeting here on Sunday, as well as on the stream, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, you guys. We'll see you next week.